Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to continue our series, Am I Okay? We're talking about what to do when you don't know what to do. And particularly, we're, we're looking at the inner self, the, 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 really the mind, the heart, the emotions, and the soul. And, and we're, 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 we're trying to find in the Scripture what God has to say about who he made us and how he made us so that there can be health, you know, in our, health in our being, you know. And I, I want to read uh, a couple verses and this really great story that you may have heard, but it's ancient and applicable today. And I really believe that it's going to speak to you. And I, I want to talk to you from, finding, uh, from the subject, Finding God in the Flames. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. We are introduced by, to our, our characters in this story Uh, Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're pregnant and you're looking for names, I've got three great options. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, the fourth option. They said, "We, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, here's the key, our God, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if not, know this, we will not serve your gods and we will not bow. Isaiah 41, the prophet says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. This is his promise. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How good is that promise from God? I want to read one more verse out of the book of James. Just did a series this summer in the book of James. It's an incredible book. It says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, difficulties, situations, battles, when you face trials of many kinds, it's going to look different for everybody. Everyone's going to have their own trials to go through. So he's saying, consider it pure joy. One translation, it says, count it all joy. And it's like, whenever you start this verse, you think like, I'm ready for the joy. Count it all joy. Like, all right, let's go. What's going to be joyful? Various trials of many kinds. It's like, oh, I I wasn't expecting that. Because this is why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces perseverance. Produces steadfastness. Produces a steadiness in your heart and soul. So you count it all joy that the trials don't exist without a reason. But that there's production and purpose even in the painful process. Count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let's pray. God, right now will you come and speak to us, Jesus, your people. And God, I pray, Lord, that, that as I speak, you speak, Lord God. I know that I've got nothing to say, but you've got everything to say. So Holy Spirit, come and speak to every heart, every situation, every mind, every family, God, every future. Come right now and speak, Jesus. And we pray. We give you the honor in this moment to do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. 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 This is an amazing story in the Bible. And, and you know, like many stories, I, I, I feel like sometimes we think they're children's stories when they're really not. They're life or death. They're unbelievable. Stories of biblical epic proportions. And, and I love telling Bible stories because I really believe God weaves a narrative of truth in every single story. And, and you're in the story and Jesus is in the story. And, and this is, if you're ever going to make a film about any story in the Bible, this is a great one to make a film about. It's just filled with so much intrigue and so many different elements all coming together for a miraculous end. But it begins with severe suffering. These young men, three Hebrew boys, they were taken from their home in Israel by the evil king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Babylon had conquered most of the Middle East down into India and had come over into Judah and taken the city of Jerusalem he burnt Solomon's temple, he burnt his palace, and he tore down the gates and uh, the, the wall that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. But more than all of that horrible destruction, he took all of the young men and young people into his empire as slaves to serve at the behest of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And, and so that's where we find these three is they're coming from serious situation of extreme circumstances of pain that they, they never necessarily deserve. They just found themselves in. And, and, and this is the reality of life, isn't it? That you will face circumstances of affliction. You will face very painful, very real, not theoretical, actual honest-to-goodness circumstances of affliction in your mind or your body or your soul. And maybe you'll escape one. You know, maybe, maybe you won't, you know, break an arm. I thought the other day as I was driving that I've never broken a bone in my body. And I thought, grace, grace, God, grace, grace. Let's keep it that way, you know. And so maybe, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll never fall out of a tree, but, but maybe you've gone through something that seared your soul. Maybe you've gone through circumstances that stunted your emotions. The, the reality is, in life, there are going to be serious things that come to attack out of nowhere in a, in, in, in a time where maybe you're even unable to defend yourself from. They are going to come. And, and for many, of, many times, even life will, will do this. It might even rip your childhood from you. There's three Hebrew young boys that have had their home, their, their place of safety, their youth, their vitality ripped from them. They're put in a strange situation that they don't understand under a different authority that they can't really figure out and in a different difficult culture, circumstances of very real affliction. But here is God's promise is that there will be complete deliverance through the process. God's promise is that there will be complete deliverance, total healing through the process. In the end, he wins and you win. So my, my goal for you today is, is to look in your circumstances and your situations and no matter how difficult they are, my challenge, my goal, my hope for you today would be to find God in the midst of the flames. To find God in the midst of the terrible, difficult situations because make no mistake, he is there and he is there with a purpose which is to bring complete deliverance through the process. Amen? 
Our story begins with these three young men now in Babylon, and, and they've been appointed into, into places of leadership because no matter what the enemy has planned for you, he can't stop God's purpose on you. And they're, they're appointed in places of leadership, but the king gets back from, from great victories, and to celebrate those victories, he, he begins to set up a new God unto himself, and this is a idol that he has raised 90 feet in the air, covered in gold and wealth and jewels, and, and it's a golden image. And he gathers all of the leaders of all of the provinces in all of Babylon uh, together, which Babylon is a picture of a godless society in Scripture. It is this secular, anti-Christ, anti-God society. And so when you, when you read about Babylon, you'll see it actually pop up all throughout Scripture, even into the book of Revelation, as a picture of a culture that has set itself against God. Here's three godly young men in a culture that has set itself against God. And this king, in this process, says, I want to receive the worship. And so he establishes this 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 principality, this, this, this idol in a high place. And, and he gathers all the wealthy people and all of the government, uh, governmental officials and all of the influencers. And, and, and he gathers all of the musicians. And, and the Bible actually says everybody that speaks any language on earth is gathered together from all over the regions in this empire. And an edict comes down from the king that when the music plays, you bow and you worship the golden image. When the music plays, because see, even the ancient people knew there was something connected. There's some sort of connection between music and worship. It's like a deeper connection. And, and, and they even knew, and there's also something connected between your posture, your position, and your worship. They, they understood there's something about how you come before something that's worthy of your worship. That there's a, a bowing, a, a respect, and, and there's a worship, and there's a, there's a singing. And, and all tribes and all tongues were supposed to come before this, this idol and worship when the sound uh, came through the arena. And, and all of them did. And, and, and it's, it's a foreshadowing of, honestly, even what's to come. That there's this government that begins to pull people together for one purpose under one authority and one worship that is not Christ. And, and, and here the story, we find these three Hebrew young men, they, they choose not to bow. When the music plays, they remain standing. And, and some astrologers, some people who, who uh, they were the king's aides and, and of a false religion, they come to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, didn't you say everyone was supposed to bow? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. They say, well, there's three Hebrew young people and they refused to bow, they challenged your authority. What I think is interesting is, is the, the king gets incensed and frustrated and angry, and he calls for them because he is now going to threaten them with their, their very life. Well, what I think is interesting about this is why does it matter? You've conquered everything. You've got the hanging gardens, the wonders of the world. You're, 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 you're secure in your position. Why does it matter what the remnant refuses to do? Why does it matter that they don't agree? There's just something in the spiritual realm, something in the, the anti-God, in the demonic, that can't handle a dissenting opinion. That just has to not only be right, has to dominate in its rightness. It's not good enough 
for there to be agree to disagree, but you have to be wrong and you have to bow. And make no mistake, this is not just an ancient thing. I, when I was reading the story, I felt like I was reading the newspaper. It, when music and culture and officials and government and influencers all come together and say, we have decided this is the new God and you better stink and bow. But God has a remnant that says, you're going to have to do what you're going to have to do. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because make, make no mistake, we struggle not against flesh and blood. It's not people, but we struggle against principalities and powers. Where? In high places. Interesting that this image went into a high place because it's a picture of a spirit that's trying to come on an entire nation. It's trying to come on people and blind them to receive their worship. And when the, someone steps up to the king, he's unable to handle it because his goal is dominion. His goal is domination. It, see, that's why when he calls him back, he says, I'm going to give you a second chance to worship. He could have just killed him. Look, they already didn't worship. Kill him for that. They already disobeyed you. Kill him for that. Where does this king find this grace? See, it wasn't really that he wanted to kill them. He wanted their worship. So he said, I'm going to give you a second chance. It's almost like he gives them the opportunity. In his goodness and his graciousness, I'm going to give you the opportunity for you to abdicate who you really are. So like the enemy, he always comes with an opportunity that really is just a disguised abdication. He says, just do this. You'll lose who you are. You'll lose your conviction. You'll lose your soul, but you won't die. It's a good exchange. He comes in under this form of grace. And, and, and it's the same thing that Satan does with Jesus, you know. When Jesus came to the earth, Satan tempted Jesus in the desert. And he, he brought Jesus up to a high place, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And said, if you will just bow to me, I will acknowledge you as king. Which is pretty amazing because that is who Jesus is. But it's not who he fully is. He's prophet, priest, king, and God himself. Satan says, I'm willing to acknowledge you as king as long as you bow down and worship me. Why? Because there's something about an antichrist spirit that wants your worship. Just something about an anti-God spirit that wants your body, mind, and soul. They want your position of worship and want dominion over who you are, how you think, and what you worship. And so immediately Jesus had to pass the same test. Will he bow and take the easy way out? the opportunity to abdicate, or will he stand against this temptation, this trial of the enemy? It's interesting. The enemy doesn't mind your authority as long as he has authority over you. The enemy doesn't mind you going to church and worshiping as long as you worship his culture Monday through Friday. The enemy was all right with Jesus being king. He just can't be God as well. The enemy will allow a little bit of truth, but not the fullness of truth in your life. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to get rid of the thing that really, really makes you. And here Nebuchadnezzar is speaking with that voice of the enemy in agreement with the enemy, trying to dominate the conviction that God has placed in the hearts of these young people. He's trying to fear it out of them, scare it out of them, saying, if you don't agree with what I say, you're done. You're done. And then he, he submits this challenge saying, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who's the God? Just three of you. Look around. You see how many people there are? See the people I've dominated? You see the ones I've taken down? The kings that I've brought low? Who's the God? My God, you can see. 
My God makes sense. In fact, the whole crowd worships my God. You better get in line because there is no God that can rescue you. Here's this challenge. Who's the God that can rescue you? Ah, man, doesn't that sound like the lie of the enemy? That he comes to you in a difficult place and say, could God really save you? Who's the God that can rescue you from this? Who's the God that can forgive you for this? Who's the God that can take you out of this cycle? Who's the God? I'll tell you, that challenge reached heaven. It's almost like Jesus, God was in a meeting in heaven with all the angels, and he heard that phrase, said, hold on, guys, guys, what? What did he just say? And then someone reads the transcript back. We will not bow. We refuse to bow. And then he said, who is the God? <laughs> who is the God? <laughs> heaven stenographer. <laughs> he said, Nebuchadnezzar said, who is the God? <laughs> who will rescue you from my hand. God's like, just throw that on the screen. Rewind it. Who is the God that will rescue you from my hand? It's like famous last words. It's like famous last words. The enemy always overplays his hand. He'll always ask the one question too far because there's an obvious answer. There is a God. He is mighty. He does pay attention. He is involved. And God loves a challenge. That's why he loves you. He loves a challenge. It's like what gets him up off his throne and gets him involved in your life is when something begins to be my God versus your God. Elijah says, let's put, let's put up, let's create altars and no one light a fire, but whoever's God answers with fire, that's the real God. And God says, now that is the kind of contest I can get involved in. Fire breathing contest. Who is the God? Make no mistake, when the enemy begins to speak like that to you, I really do believe that's when he goes a step too far. When he tries to get you to abdicate who you are by challenging God, that's when you can call upon God. Who is the God? Well, it's not me, but I do know someone. And he has done something. And time and time again, he's been faithful. He's been, he's been my hope and he's been my salvation. He's been my rock. He's been my shield. There is a mighty God. And these young Hebrew men say, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. See, that's what they were looking for was complete deliverance. That's what they believed God had within him was deliverance. I'm here to, to tell you today that God doesn't just have a stay of execution for you. He doesn't just have a vacation from your problems. He doesn't just have a, a remission or a respite from, your, from, from your, your difficulties in life. You serve a God of complete and total deliverance. Healing, forgiveness, restoration, personal revival. You serve a God that is a delivering God. In Egypt, he delivered them. When Jesus came, he came to deliver us from evil. For his is the kingdom and his is the power forever and ever. Come on, say amen. amen. That's who he is. He's a God of deliverance. So when you're searching for God, make sure you're looking for deliverance because that's the business that God, that God is in. And they had to make that declaration. And in that, they, made, they, made, they took a stand. In making that declaration, they took a stand. And it's, it's such a powerful moment that they chose not 
to use the excuses that were right there to justify their situation. They could have said, well, you don't know what happened to us when, when we were kids. This isn't our culture. We are not safe here. We don't understand it. We don't understand the customs. We've lost our parents. I mean, very real, difficult excuses were there. They could have said, I'll bow, but I won't really worship. Come on, worship's the state of the heart. It's just you and me. I'll look like it. I'll act like it. I'll, po- I'll position myself like it. Any outside observer would think I'm like every other person in this society, but uh, you and me, you and me. Isn't that the temptation that we face to get out easy? And they could have even said, but you know what? You know what, though? Were we not brought here by God? Couldn't we do more good alive than dead? Couldn't we do more good? So if I just give a little, I'll be able to do a lot of good later. No, they took that moment to take a stand. They took that moment to make a declaration of definition of who they were going to be. And they accepted the affliction that was going to come. But here's here's the beautiful thing that God was working into this situation is he was going to use the affliction to create a definition of who they are. Affliction creates opportunities for definition. You don't really know who you are until you go through something very difficult. You don't know who you really are until you've gone through something that makes you say, I'm not that. And sometimes we're not sure who we are, right? We're looking for our purpose, our calling, our meaning. And we're not quite sure what direction we're called to be. But then serious difficulties come up and something has to rise up in you and say, I'm not quite sure where I'm going, but I know I'm not going there. I'm not sure who I am, Because that's the question, who are we? You might not know who you are, but I can tell you what, when God begins to bring you through difficult situations, you find out quickly who you're not. I'm not quite sure on that, but I'm not that. I'm not stuck in this. I'm not called to that place. I'm not gonna get around them. I'm not sure where I'm going, but I know where I'm not going. And it's not until serious, difficult affliction comes that an opportunity comes for definition of who you are. And what you're called to be. You never ever knew what was in you until something came against you. And so thank God for the trials that has produced perseverance. Thank God for the difficulties that come in life that God will use to define your future. As he never ever lets pain come and go without a purpose. And these young people stood up and they said, we believe that, that God is a God that delivers. And we're not quite sure how this is going to happen. And we're not quite sure what's going to go down. But no matter what, God will deliver us. And then they say, but even if not, even if not, know this, we still won't bow. Even if God doesn't show up the way I thought he was going to show up. Even if he doesn't show up in the timing I wished he would show up in. Even if it doesn't look like what I expected. Even if my prayer seems to go unanswered. Even if my faith has to falter, I know this, I still won't bow. I might not understand it all. I might not even agree with it all, but I still will not bow. I will not believe in you over God. I will not believe in circumstances over Christ. I will not believe in my situation over my Savior. Even if he doesn't show up the way I thought he was gonna, I still won't bow. And I would propose to you that there's victory even in just the action of holy defiance. Because that's what's in there. There's a defiance in there. We love to read the scripture and just say, come on, they just love. They just love. They just loved and loved and loved. 
No, God used some very serious people to go through some very serious situations, but to accomplish some very significant things. And it came from a stand that they had to take saying, I don't know about what God's gonna do, but I do know what I'm gonna do. I, and I just believe there was, there was a victory just in that action, just in that action, that choosing of who they're gonna be and that choosing of what they're gonna do. And make no mistake, you're gonna come to a point in your life where you're gonna have to make this decision as well. The decision where you will stand and say, I will not bow. I will not bow. Because there are gods that have been set up and that the situations of life have brought you underneath and say, now worship this thing. Worship this thing that now reigns over you. And you have to make the decision, I will not bow to the God of depression. I will not bow to the God of anxiety. I will not bow to the God of adultery. I will not bow to the God of greed. I will not bow to the spirit of depression. I will not bow to the spirit of suicide. I'm not saying you won't struggle. I'm just saying you don't have to bow. You don't have to accept. You don't have to acquiesce. You don't have to give up. Do not bow. You can't define your circumstance, but you can define your response to the circumstance. Do not bow. You need to make that decision on the inside. You might say, well, I'm struggling. Well, struggling means you're still in the fight. Struggling means you're still pushing back. Struggling means you're still not all out of energy and strength just yet. If you got a kick, if you got a bite, if you got to fight dirty, go ahead. But stay in the struggle. Do not take the knee. Do not bow. Do not kneel in abdication of your calling. Stay in the struggle. Come on, stay in the fight. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times. Can I tell you this? Falling isn't bowing. You might screw up and you might fail. Don't say, I am now this failure. I am now this falling. No, the righteous man will fall, but he'll rise again and rise again and rise again and rise again. And the enemy wants to say, stay there. But I feel the Holy Spirit rising up in me saying, I am more than a conqueror. I will not bow. I will not stop. I will not slow. I will not abdicate my calling. I can't control what happens to me, but I do know the God I serve. And I don't know how he's going to come through, but he will come through. He is for me and not against me. He has never failed me yet, and he won't fail me now. So even if I don't understand how, I know who. I will not bow. I will not bow. This is a mindset that you have a choice for. This isn't just something you say, well, I I hope I get this. No, this is a choice. This is your response to the situations of life. And as difficult as they get, they do not have the authority over you to force you to bow. You have the strength of your conscience and your conviction. I'm not going to bow to the spirits. Even if everyone else is bowing, the crowd bows, the authority bows, the government bows, the wealthy bows, the officials bow, and music bows. And yet, 
I've got a choice in this. I've got a choice in this. I refuse to bow. I refuse to bow. So even if the enemy won, even if Nebuchadnezzar was successful in killing them, he still lost. Because his goal was to get their worship, and he didn't end up getting their worship. No matter what happens, know this. When you choose to stand with Christ, the enemy will always lose. He'll always lose. His goal is to get your worship, but when you reserve it for the Almighty, he loses. They were saying, you can kill me, but you can't own me. You can kill me, but you can't own me. Jesus says, don't fear the one that can kill the body. Fear the one that can kill both body and soul in hell. There's a greater power than what's just on the earth. There's a mighty eternal power than just what's going on here. So, so you're able to stand forthrightly and declare, oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? I serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And even if God doesn't come through the way I expected, I'm with him. As Job says, though he slay me, still I will trust him. I will trust him over my emotions. I will trust him over my feelings. I will trust him over my present circumstances. I will trust him over my mistakes. I will trust him over what the world tells me I am. I will trust him over my upbringing. I will trust him over any other authority that's in my life. Jesus first, Jesus above all. I will not bow. My belief is greater than my circumstances. And they're saying he's going to be my rescuer. He's either going to rescue us on earth or he's going to rescue us in eternity. But either way, he's going to be my rescuer. I hope that he comes on earth and and heals me body, mind, and soul. But even if he doesn't, when I get to walk through those gates and I get to be in his paradise and I receive a new body that is completely healed in the place where there is no sadness, there is no weeping, there is no mourning, but there's the fullness of joy, I know either way I'm rescued can't control the situation, but I can control my response to it. Come on, you need to say, I'm still standing. I'm still standing. You need to let the enemy know, I'm still standing. I'm still standing. This is difficult, but I'm still standing. Nebuchadnezzar went into fury, went into a rage, and he declared that the fire now needs to get seven times hotter. The circumstances began to grow in their fury. The chaos began to grow. And there is a reality of fire in your life that that will will affect and will touch you. And, And the reality is the fire will touch everyone. And sometimes it even seems like it's growing. The more you fight against it and the more you take a stand, it seems almost that the more the fire grows. I just prayed and now it's worse. I just accepted Jesus. And where's all the happiness and butterflies I was promised? It's almost like the enemy only comes against people that are taking a stand for righteousness. And the fire begins to grow hotter at the behest of this wicked king. But have you ever noticed that it seems like the fire in your life always seems to get hotter right before something shifts? It's always darkest right before the dawn. It's always when you feel like you can't go on and you can't make it happen and you're spent and you're all done. No, that's the moment where God is going to bring you to another level. And I don't mean to be 
Christian cliche, I'm just telling you, do not give up too soon because though it seems like the enemy is packing on the fire, at some point, this went from man's fire to God's fire. At some point, the supernatural superseded this fire. And that's what the enemy tries to do is is fear you into abdication. And the enemy says, now, they're going through it, add on another layer, add on fear, and begin to get this fire going. Now add on anxiety. Tell them that they're overwhelmed. Tell them now that they're depressed. Let them know the only way out of this fire is suicide, but six is man's number. Somewhere in that adding, God says, let me take over. Let me take over. Six is the number of man, but seven is the number of God. And at some point, God says, I'm going to add something to the fire as well. You've added fear. You've added anxiety. You've added all of these serious difficulties, but I'm going to add something to the fire as well. Hebrew says our God is a consuming fire. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but one is coming who baptizes in spirit and in fire. In the book of Acts, it said, suddenly a sound like a rushing wind came from heaven and tongues of fire appeared onto them and rested on them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to each other in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. At some point, God's fire supersedes man's fire. The apostle John saw in Revelation, he said, I see one like the son of man and his eyes are a flame of fire. And the man said, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and the grave. There is another fire. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar looked in and he, he asked his officials, did we not throw three men into that fire? He said, surely, O king, we did. He said, but yet I see a fourth man. And the fourth man looks like the son of God. I'm here to declare there is a fourth man in your fire. And it has changed the fire from the thing that meant to consume you. God says, I'll become. I'll supersede the enemy's plan. There is another man in the fire, and he looks like the Son of God. There is another, and his name is Jesus. He said, I see them. They're unbound, and they're walking in the midst of the fire. And look, they're not even hurt. Why? Because the fourth man is among them. When Christ is in the furnace with you, he sets you free. He stands you up. He brings you in motion. He does not leave you. He does not abandon you. He does not say you're on your own in the flames. No, he walks into every single fiery furnace with you. You are never alone. When you bow, when you choose not to bow to a false god, the true God chooses to stand with you. Jesus is our assurance of deliverance, saying, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you need to declare, I'm in the fire, but I'm unburnt. I'm in the fire, but I'm unbound. I'm in the fire, but I'm still standing. Come on, I'm in the fire, but I'm not alone. I'm in the fire, but I'm okay. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know how he's going to bring me out of this, but I know that he is in the middle of it. And don't you think it's interesting that the only thing that burned in this fire were, were the things that bound them? That's the only thing the fire affected. 
didn't touch their hair, didn't touch their clothes, didn't touch their person. The only thing the fire affected were the things that bound them. And so the thing that was meant to destroy them, God used to release them. God brings a fire to purify your life. He brings a fire to bring freedom. He's gonna burn out every wicked thing, but he's gonna bring freedom in your life. And yeah, it might look difficult, but it's only difficult if you're in it alone. But if there's a fourth man in that fire, that fourth man has a purpose, and his purpose is to bring freedom to the captive, sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. God's goal is to burn the bondage off your life. His goal is not for you to simply cope. God's not into just pain management. God is a God of freedom. He's a God of freedom. So when you begin to follow Jesus, that's when you begin to find freedom. This is why we have freedom courses at the church. And we, this is why we, why we have crews and change crews, because we really do believe every Sunday when you get close to Jesus, he comes into the middle of your fire and he begins to break things off of you. Old mindsets, old hurts, old beliefs, he releases. He releases. Because that's who he is. He's a freedom bringer. The king sees it and says, call him out of the fire and bring him up here. And they, they looked and him and all the officials, they saw that the fire, the Bible says this, had no power over them. Isn't it amazing? The thing you might fear the most has, actually has no power over you. And then it says that their hair was not singed and their clothes were unharmed. These guys came out looking good. And their hair looked good. But here's my favorite verse. I love that the Bible puts this in there. It says there wasn't even the smell of fire on them. They didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't even smell like smoke. Listen, the scent of what you went through won't even be on you. Scent of oppression won't even linger on you. The scent of failure, it won't even linger on you. Don't walk around with your head down, your shoulders down, thinking this thing is just like pig pen around me. Everyone can sense it. Everyone can feel it. Everyone, everyone knows what I came through. No, you are not what you went through. You are not what you went through. And I believe by the end of the process, God will even make you, he'll even have you not look like the situation you came out of. Your appearance won't even look like what you went through. It won't even linger on you. Look, it's not going to be in your eyes. It's not going to be on your face. It shouldn't be on your countenance. It won't be on your speech. You will not look and talk and act like a failure. You will not have to be down. Can I say this? Even the, even the, the lingering depression God's going to free you from. I'm talking about full and complete healing and deliverance, even the smell, it won't be on you. It won't be on you. Body, mind, and soul. I had a friend that, that carries his ID around with him, his old driver's license that he had before he got saved. He said, because whenever I need to be reminded of God's grace, I take this thing out and I look at what I used to look like. You're going to look different. You're going to act different. Your atmosphere is going to be different. 
your responses and reactions, they're going to be different. And you might say, well, that's not me right now. Okay, but, but don't worry. Stay faithful. Stay standing. Stay with Jesus, because I can tell you the end of the story. You'll be untouched, you'll be unbound, and you'll be unburnt. Jesus makes it like you were never even in the fire. Jesus makes it like you were never even caught in that stuff. It's just not on you. It's just not in you. I tell you that because it's a promise. Receive that promise and begin to walk towards that promise. Pray that promise. When I read that, I got to be honest. You know where I read this? I was reading my, my kids a Bible story. You know, just those little books. And at the end it said they didn't even smell like the fire. And I started crying. <laughs> she was like, what's wrong? It's like, it's not even going to smell like fire. <laughs> because in that moment, I felt God speak to me saying, you're not even going to smell like it. Not even going to be around you. Not even going to look like it. I, I might still be in the fire now, but make no mistake, I'm coming out of it. You might still be in the process now, but God's bringing healing. And here's the promise you hold to, that in the end, I have total freedom. In the end, total liberty. In the end, total healing. In the end, I'm going to be delivered, body, mind, and soul. Can you say amen? So if you're in the fire right now, you're in the midst of it, I would challenge you to look hard and look around because the fourth man is there. You just have to find him. And in the end, Nebuchadnezzar has to say, there is no other God who can rescue this way. What a truth. There is no other God that can rescue this completely, this fully, this holy, this mighty, this worthy. Let's go back. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands into there is no other God that can rescue this way? He has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ, and his promise is complete and total deliverance through the process in your life. Can you say amen, church? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.